Welcome to People, Places, Planet Pod, the official podcast of the Environmental Law Institute, a nonprofit, nonpartisan organization working to ensure a healthy environment, prosperous economies, and vibrant communities founded on the rule of law. So hello and welcome to today's episode of People, Places, Planet Pod. My name is Lavinia Reynolds and today we are discussing what corporate renewable energy statements really mean and why you, as a consumer or a practitioner in environmental law, should care. In this episode, we will discuss the plethora of options for how corporations can obtain renewable energy and unpack what it means when a corporation says it has achieved 100% renewable use. You can learn more about this topic in a report recently published by ELI entitled Corporate Statements About the Use of Renewable Energy. What does the 100% renewable goal really mean? You can find a link to the report in the podcast description. But before we jump into this topic, I would like to welcome our guests, who are experts on issues relating to corporate renewable energy reporting. First, I want to introduce Sofia Yazikova, who is a staff attorney at ELI and co-author of the recently published report. I'd also like to welcome Priya Barua, who is a Senior Manager of Utility Innovation and the Global Energy Program at the World Resources Institute. Priya has worked directly with several corporate energy buyers on their renewable energy strategies through the Renewable Energy Buyers Alliance and RE100. In her role at WRI, she fosters collaborations between utilities and large energy buyers in traditional regulated markets to develop green tariff programs that meet customer needs and to develop innovative utility business models that support an efficient and economic transition to clean energy resources. She will be transitioning to work at Reba full-time starting in mid-April. Welcome, Sophia and Priya. Hi, thank you very much for having me here. Thank you so much for having me as well. Well, we're glad to have you both on this week's episode. Sophia, can you start by telling us a little bit about what this recently published report aims to accomplish? Given that companies may mean different things by saying that they rely on renewable energy, it is important for consumers and other interested parties to understand what exactly a company does, how it obtains and uses renewable energy. For example, while making the same claim of 30% renewable energy use, One company might mean that it self-generated a significant amount of renewable energy and or that it helped to bring new renewable energy projects to fruition, while another company may simply have bought unbundled racks from long-established wind farms, purchases of which made little, if any, impact on development of the renewable energy market. And what are the benefits of or motivations for using renewable energy? So I can I can take this one. Um, the the short answer is it it makes business sense. Um, of course, many companies want to be recognized as leaders in reducing greenhouse gas emissions. Um, and so renewable energy also provides long term price certainty for energy. It allows companies to diversify their energy supply, and most importantly, it can provide cost savings with decreasing costs of solar and wind projects that we see today. Uh, For example, Walmart, the largest user of solar energy in the U.S., is not shy in saying that their clean energy goals are likely to save them about $1 billion per year by 2020. So it's no surprise that the scale of corporate procurement trend has increased, and there remains much more demand for clean energy in the marketplace, not just from corporate companies, but from other large energy buyers like cities, counties, municipalities, and universities. They're all beginning to set ambitious renewable energy and clean energy goals too. 
So I know there are a lot of different ways for companies to obtain renewable energy. Can you describe some of those methods? A company can generate renewable energy itself, um, solar panels installed on roofs of facilities, for example, or it can procure it from others. There is a number of ways to procure renewable energy. We discuss all of this in our report, but basically renewable energy certificates, RECs, allow one to claim the use of renewable power. A REC is issued whenever one megawatt hour of electricity is generated and delivered to the electricity grid from a renewable energy resource. An entity owing the REC has exclusive rights to make claims about using or being powered with renewable electricity associated with that REC. A REC can be bundled, meaning that both the certificate and the associated electricity are sold together, or unbundled, meaning that they are sold separately. And there are different ways to obtain RECs, including power purchase agreements, virtual power purchase agreements, and green tariffs or products, as well as unbundled RECs. Power purchase agreements are agreements between a power generator and a customer, such as a corporate buyer, that allow to purchase bundled RECs. The power generator and the customer are located in the same grid region, allowing for the delivery of electricity to the consumer. Virtual power purchase agreements are agreements between a power generator and a customer, such as a corporate buyer, in which renewable power is not physically delivered to the customer, but is instead sold into the grid located near the power generator. The customer only gets the racks, not the power. Green tariffs are programs offered by utilities and approved by state public utility commissions that allow customers to buy bundled renewable electricity from a specific project through a special utility tariff rate. Green tariffs vary from one utility to another. In addition to green tariffs, there are other green power products. In both cases, the customer receives bundled RECs, so RECs and electricity. And aside from these options, some companies also purchase unbundled RECs. In this case, they only buy the certificates but not the associated electricity generated by renewable energy resource. All right, so that's a lot of different methods to keep track of, and we've included a graphic of what um, each of these different methods are in a link in the podcast description. So you can check that out there. Sophia and the table um, do a great job of laying out the various ways in which companies can buy renewable energy. The only piece I will add to that is that the range of options that may be available to a company will depend on where the company is located. For example, a company may not be able to engage directly in a power purchase agreement or a veil of a green tariff if it is located in a state where those options are not available. So, so some of the options that companies have may be limited based on that. That's a great point, Priya. Thank you so much. So can you provide a brief overview of the benefits and challenges of these different methods for procuring renewable energy? So um, so I think that it is, there are, it, it's, it's a little bit of a difficult question to answer um, because there are varying benefits and challenges with each method, um, depending on where a company is located, but also what the key objectives or underlying drivers are for the customer goals that have been set. So just thinking a couple of examples, um, you know, if a company is uh, pursuing an on 
an off-site power purchase agreement. An off-site power purchase agreement can provide the benefit of enabling a customer to buy a large quantity of renewable energy in one transaction with geographic flexibility, which could improve impact um, and cost. However, buyers utilizing this method usually have to purchase a minimum threshold, um, which is quite large, and remote projects are not likely to provide desired local benefits or help to green the grids where the customer may be consuming energy. Um, in addition, um, there are financial risks that a customer would likely take on with uh, uh, you know, an off-site power purchase agreement, also known as a virtual power file purchase agreement or contract for differences, um, which the company may or may not have the appetite for. Um, similarly, you know, bringing on a new renewable energy project through a direct power purchase agreement is usually viewed as an impactful approach to displacing fossil fuel generation, and in many cases it is. However, in regions where there's already a high saturation of solar and wind projects, you know, bringing on a new solar or wind project may not actually displace be displacing fossil fuel generation, it may just be displacing more expensive renewable energy projects because it's contributing to surplus generation when the sun is shining or the wind is blowing, and other sources of energy are still needed to ensure a 24-7 supply of electricity. Sounds like there's a lot of nuance associated with these different methods. Can you walk us through a typical corporate renewable energy statement, for example, Company X plans to use 75% renewable energy at all of its facilities by 2020. Currently, 60% of Company X's facilities are powered by renewable energy. What is that company trying to say when it makes those statements? Okay, so here we have company's goal and progress numbers. These numbers by themselves do not convey much information. It's unclear how the company obtained renewable energy, how much renewable energy it generated itself, how much it purchased through contracts, and how much it purchased in the form of unbundled racks. And without this information, we cannot assess the impact this company had on the renewable energy market. Okay, so how would you improve this statement? What information would you add? Well, it's important for a company to explain how it obtained renewable energy. Different methods of procurement have different impacts on the development of renewable energy projects. A company may generate renewable energy itself, invest in the development of a new project, work with the utility to add more renewable power to the grid where it operates, or purchase existing unbundled racks from a grid that is far away from its operations. Some of these methods will add more renewable energy to the grid, replacing reliance on fossil fuels, and some will not. I think to credibly and effectively convey progress that the company has made, it'd be good for the company to include two um, key additional pieces of information to support that broad, broader statement, what you did and how you did it. In terms of what you did, that should include you know, transparently communicating what the purchase is, its scale, scope and term, how it goes beyond regulatory requirements, if that's relevant, and its impact on new or existing generation and greenhouse gas emissions. Um, in terms of how you did it, clearly describing the company's role in the outcome, financial and risk positions in any project or purchase, a role in influencing policy changes, increasing access for other consumers, or other aspects of participation in the renewable energy market transformation. Can you talk a little bit about existing guidelines for renewable energy reporting? Sure. There are several useful guides out there. The Area 100 guides on making credible renewable electricity usage claims, for example, emphasize that lack of specificity can lead to confusion. 
and that when a company makes a public claim, it should take into account, among other things, the purchasing options it deployed, the boundary of the consumption, the amount or percentage of renewable energy purchased, the length of the company's commitment, and the certificates used. If all the other 100 members conveyed information about their renewable energy purchases using these above categories, with the addition of a clear delineation of the number of unbundled and bundled racks, this could substantially improve public understanding of renewable energy claims. Absolutely, Sophia. So in recognizing the ambiguity that exists in the market around goals and impacts and the desire for companies to establish themselves as credible leaders in supporting decarbonization in this very dynamic market, WRI led the community of practice in an exploration of what consumers are trying to accomplish by using vague terms like additionality and what approaches might better meet their goals. So extensive input from technical experts, buyers, developers, and utilities, and close observation of the rapidly evolving market dynamics led to, to the release of the, of the white paper last spring titled Describing Purchaser Impacts in U.S. Voluntary Renewable Energy Markets. This report proposes a framework and transparent language for analyzing, communicating, and clarifying the impact consumers are seeking to create with the hopes that this clarity will allow voluntary demand to continue to expand while constantly adapting to the frontier barriers the clean energy transition will face in the coming years. This report is accessible through both the EPA and the Renewable Energy Buyers websites. I know by the time this podcast is published, Priya, you will be starting your new position at the Renewable Energy Buyers Alliance, or REBA. Can you talk a little bit more about REBA and what it does? Absolutely. I'm happy to do that. So the Renewable Energy Buyers Alliance, or REBA as it's called, um, currently has about 200 companies, um, some cities and universities involved, um, and it has had a very important role in helping to shape energy markets and public policies to make it easier for companies to choose to buy renewable energy. This was a collaboration that um, was run across four NGOs, and, and as of February, it has now been established as a standalone organization. Um, REBA has the collective purchasing power to unlock market solutions and represents companies from a range of sectors from across the country with a range of varying experiences and buying renewable energy. Of the 15.5 gigawatts of corporate renewable energy deals that have taken place in the U.S. to date, 98% of those included a member of the REBA community. That sounds like an expansive sphere of influence. Um, what is REBA's approach to expanding the renewable energy market? So REBA's approach is to meet, you know, the, REBA set an initial goal of 60 gigawatts of new renewable energy from large energy buyers by 2025. And the organization hopes to achieve that goal in four key ways. The first is solving market barriers and creating innovative market solutions. So this includes finding ways to simplify and innovate transaction structures and 
contract mechanisms in collaboration with the suppliers and other buyers um, to really help members get the energy that they want. Um, the second is to drive policy and regulatory innovation needed to support market innovation. So by bringing a business-led message of cost benefits and business value of renewable energy at both the state and national levels. Um, the third uh, approaches is really to lead in next generation clean technology innovation. The new REBA organization will support companies in looking at a range of technologies such as long duration storage, new generation technologies, and agile grid solutions. And the role that that those companies may be able to play in supporting a clean energy transition that integrates renewable energy into a stable, reliable 24-7 power system. And fourth, and this is a very important one, is just solving the inertia that exists in many companies. So many individuals within companies are seeking out how to become more sophisticated buyers and learning from what others have done. So Reba really provides both the network and a number of resources and tools to help solve internal company structure challenges, which is usually overlooked, but really a critically important element um, to helping to expand the market. So, so those four key approaches taken to, together in collaboration with REBA members and collaborators um, help provide tangible strategies that companies can take forward and um, in that field has market impacts well beyond just the REBA's members. Thank you so much, Sophia and Priya, for joining us today um, on this week's episode of People, Places, Planet Pod. We really appreciated having your insights and expertise on the topic of corporate renewable energy reporting. To our listeners, if you would like to find some of the resources mentioned in this podcast, we've included links to the REBA report on just describing purchaser impact, um, as well as the Environmental Law Institute report um, that Sophia authored. Um, you can also find that in our podcast description. Again, thank you to our guests and our podcast production team. And look out for our next upcoming episodes in the next few weeks. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for tuning in to People, Places, Planet Pod, brought to you by the Environmental Law Institute. We would like to hear from you. So please send us your questions, comments, and ideas to podcast at ELI.org. And if you're interested in learning more about our work, attending one of our events, reading our publications, or becoming a member, please visit our website at www.eli.org.